Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 31. And it reads, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. And he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said, nothing. He said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack. And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, Lord, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. And he came out and went, as it was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And his disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you might not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter temptation. I want to preach to you this morning on the topic, prayer in the time of crisis. Prayer in the time of crisis. Pray with me and let's ask for God's help as we talk about prayer. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this text, this story that has been given to us that is your inspired word. God, we pray that you would powerfully speak to us. That these truths would not just simply be truths in our head, but they would come alive in our hearts. I pray for me that you would help me preach your word and not mine. Preach your ideas and not my own ideas. I pray that you will help this congregation to joyfully and passionately receive your word this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A father attended his six-year-old daughter's first track practice. And at that first practice, this six-year-old girl had to run eight laps around the track. Of course, she was in tears the entire time. He felt terrible for her. The second day, he went back. And would you believe that her coach made her run eight laps again? By the second lap, she just stopped and started crying. Her father felt terrible. He runs down, makes a beeline to his girl. And he asks her, do you want me to run with you? She wipes her tears and she says yes. And with a smile on her face, she runs eight laps. (laughs) 
Hold your, hold your clap, hold your clap. It's coming, it's coming. I know that was, I know that was a real good opener. But it's coming. <laughs> oh, the, what did the father learn that day? He learned, he learned that his presence is what his daughter needed in the time of her crisis. And as we face our own crises in life, as we're on that second loop and we don't want to keep going, and we just stop and we just start to cry, do we run to the Father? Do we know that His presence is what we need in our time of crisis? Or one step further, do you know that we display dependence on His presence through prayer? I want to talk to you this morning on this theme, praying in a time of crisis. What we see in this text is Jesus' greatest crisis crisis on earth. Uh, A lot of times we forget that Jesus faced a crisis. A lot of times we think Jesus wasn't really human. Oh, we, we believe he was God. But he, he, he didn't really have human emotions. He didn't really have human feelings. For him, everything was a breeze. Oh, it was easy for Jesus. He was God. How many times have I heard that? We forget that Jesus himself faced the greatest crisis any one of us could ever know. And he faced it alone. What did Jesus do during his time of crisis? How does Jesus want us to face our own crisis? That is the question for this morning. The story begins here kind of like a a, a migraine. The, The pressure builds quickly. We start off with this declaration of intense spiritual warfare. Pressure begins to build. Simon, Simon. Jesus repeats his name twice. That means I really need you to hear what I'm about to say. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you. That word you is plural, which means he's talking, yes, to Simon in particular, but he's actually probably looking at all the disciples. Satan has already taken down Judas. He's going down hard. Satan is coming for the rest. It is, it's about to, to, it's about to get crazy. The, the pressure is, is building. Spiritual warfare is in this moment, extremely intense. Now, Simon won't have any of it. Simon, uh, his other name is Peter. He refuses to believe. He refuses to believe that there's going to be a problem. He refuses to believe that he would ever cave. He refuses to believe that he would ever uh, walk away or deny Jesus in some fashion. He promises his faithfulness. I will go to death. Jesus then, in verse 34, prophesies that within the next couple hours, Simon will deny that he even knows him three times before the rooster crows, meaning before the sun rises, you will deny me. We see Simon's fragility prophesied. 
But Jesus is not alarmed. Look at verse 32. Jesus says, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Do you understand Jesus is a person of prayer? He's a person who prays for his disciples as the pressure increases, as the spiritual warfare increases, as they're moving into this time of chaos. Jesus is praying for Peter, and he has, he has confidence in his prayers. He's not concerned. You're going to be okay, because I've prayed for you, Peter. And when you've turned again, when you've been restored, what a beautiful glimpse of what's to come. Strengthen your brothers. You're going to have a role. Now, the next verses, verses 35 through 38, we could, we could title these verses, It's About to Get Crazy Out Here. That's, I, I believe that's what Jesus is trying to say. He, he says, do you remember when I sent you before and I said, don't take a, any money bag or knapsack, don't take any sandals? Remember how you were provided? And they're like, yeah, we, we were provided for. And then Jesus goes on to say, well, now you're going to want to take some money. Now, if you, if you don't have a sword, you're going to want to sell something and, and buy a sword. Now, they take them literally, and they take an inventory of swords. They're like, we have two swords. Is this enough? Jesus is like, it's enough. It's fine. Actually, that Hebrew phrase, it's enough, is a well-known phrase in Hebrew, which is basically saying, like, you guys totally don't get it. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's plenty. Why? Because Jesus doesn't literally mean a sword. I think he's probably probably talking metaphorically here. We know that because in just a little bit, Peter's about to use a sword to cut off an ear of a soldier, and Jesus rebukes him. We see the story of Acts. They're equipped not with swords, but with the power of this Holy, the Holy Spirit. But what Jesus is saying is this, is it's about to get crazy out here. You are metaphorically entering into the greatest war of your life, and you better be stacked with, with swords and ammunition. It's about to get chaotic. The pressure continues to build. How does Jesus want his disciples to respond to times of pressure? Well, he goes on, and, and now they're in the Mount of Olives. They're in a garden which we know in other places. It's called the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus tells them what he wants them to do. As the pressure rises, what does Jesus want his disciples to do? Verse 40. He wants them to do what? Pray. Jesus goes off and prays. We're going to look at his prayer in just a second. But when he comes back from prayer, what are the disciples not doing? Praying. And how does Jesus rebuke them? You should do what? Pray. Pray that you not enter into temptation. Pray that, like, be aware, be alert. You guys are about to move into a time of chaos. The crisis is coming. You have to be people of prayer. In verse 45, it says that when Jesus finds them, they're sleeping for sorrow. I read that the other day, and, I, and it hit me. They were depressed. They're sleeping because of the sorrow in their soul. I don't know about you, but uh, some people, you know, for some, depression actually keeps you awake, insomnia. But for others, depression just kind of puts you to sleep. You just can't keep your eyes open. You just shut out the world. I mean, I, I wish you could feel the pressure and the crisis that these disciples are feeling in this moment. You guys know the story too well. You know it all ends well. They don't know it yet, all right? I shouldn't say you don't know it. You know it too well. Praise God you know the story. But you know the story so well, sometimes you forget. The, the crisis, the genuine pressure they were feeling. 
one of their, one of their friends is, is betraying Jesus. That's just been made clear to them. It's also just been made clear to them they just ate their last meal with Jesus. Peter was just told he's going to, de- going to deny him before, before sunrise. They're discouraged. They're facing depression. They're out here not just sleeping because, you know, they were reading a book and just dozed off. No, they're, they're sleeping for sorrow. Isn't it interesting, though, that even still Jesus rebukes them? Like, that's still not an excuse to not follow Jesus. He told you to pray. Wake up. Stay awake. Pray. Pray. How do you deal with crisis? How do we deal with this discouragement in our lives when we're facing loss? We're at a crossroads. We don't know where to go. We're not even at a crossroads. We hit a wall and we don't feel like we can go forward. What do we do? When we're at this crisis moment in our life, we are called to pray. So how do we pray in times of crisis? Now, some people only pray in the time of crisis. (laughs) Some people, they don't pray, they don't even know God. And then a crisis hits and all of a sudden they they pray and their prayers are often uh, strange because they don't know God. They're, They're sometimes filled with anger. There's like a little rage behind their prayer a little blame game going on. Or just complete disillusionment and hopelessness in their prayers. That's not how we pray. Others don't pray at all in a time of crisis. They just move right into action. They're just going to try to fix the problem. I've got a wall in front of me, and I'm going to figure out how to tear this wall down. I'm standing at a crossroads. I'm going to do the math. I'm going to figure out which way I need to go. And they don't even think to pray. How do we pray in times of crisis. Other people pray a demanding kind of prayer. They pray for their will to be done and their will alone. It's almost a threatening kind of prayer, like, God, I will will follow you if you do what I want you to do right now. How do we pray in a time of crisis? Crisis in our life, it reminds us that we are frail. In a crisis, you could be the most irreligious person and you're turning to something bigger than you to try to figure it out. The question is this, is as we turn to that one who is bigger than us, church, how do we pray in a time of crisis? I I find it so kind of God to record this story for us. This glimpse of Jesus' prayer, his inner prayer life in the Garden of Gethsemane. I asked myself this question, what would we not know if this story was not recorded for us? If we didn't have Jesus' narrative here, what would we not know? We would not know the severity of emotions that Jesus felt as he was heading to the cross. We would not know the depths of obedience that it took for Jesus to continue forward to the cross. We would not know If this story was not recorded for us, we would not know that it is okay to have a crisis. It's not a sin. It's not a sin to be confused. It's not a sin to wish that something were different. That there was 
another way. It's not a sin. How do we pray in a time of crisis? What I want to do is I want to look at Jesus' prayer in his own crisis, and I want to apply it to our lives and draw out these principles so that we might follow Jesus' lead and we might pray in a time of our own crisis. Number one, how do we pray? Jesus first is honest with his feelings and his request. Jesus is honest with the Father, with his own feelings and requests. A man was completely broke. His wife was leaving him. He was about to lose his job. He couldn't sleep at night. And he showed up at church on, somebody, on Sunday, and somebody asked him, how are you doing? And he said, really well, actually. Why do we do that? Why do we, do, why do we feel like we have to give a good impression all the time about how we're doing? Why do we act like we gotta, that we're stronger than we really... Why do we have to act like we don't have any sorrows or any feelings about the situation that we're facing? I think sometimes we are so focused, we are in, in such a habit of trying to always give a good impression that when we go to God in prayer, we try to give a good impression of ourselves before God. Do you understand that God wants you to be honest with Him in prayer? He wants you to say, this isn't the way I want to go. This isn't what I want. He wants us to, to come with honest prayers before Him. Look at Jesus. He comes before God, and in verse 41, He falls on His knees. Verse 42, He says, Father, if You are willing, remove this cup from Me. Now, what is the cup that Jesus is talking about? What is he asking here? In Psalm 11, verse 6, it says, On the wicked he will rain fiery coals and burning sulfur. A scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. So according to Psalm 11, a cup is a reference for God's judgment on the wicked. Speaking to an Israel under the judgment of God, Isaiah says, Rise up, Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of His wrath. Throughout the Old Testament, a cup is always referred to as a symbol of God's wrath. Now, why would Jesus be praying, God, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me? Well, we know He's not praying it because He has wrath that He has uh, Himself incurred. Jesus has lived a sinless life before God. There is no wrath for Jesus. There is no judgment to be placed upon him. Whose wrath is this? Who does this cup belong to? You and I, church. You know, some people say, why does, why do we, why does there have to be a substitute? Why, why can't God just save people without pouring out his wrath on a substitute. Well, Jesus here asks, if that's possible, let's go that route. You know what I'm saying? Like anybody who wants to deny that the cross 
was the pouring out of God's holy wrath for sinners on Jesus Christ is making a mockery of Jesus' own prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus himself prays, if that's possible, let it be. He don't want to face it. He doesn't want to drink the cup of God's wrath for sinners. What does salvation entail? It entails a substitutional sacrifice, taking what we deserve in His own body on the tree. Jesus wishes He didn't have to, and He's honest with God about it. Jesus did not enjoy the cross. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, does not say, for the joy of suffering, He took on the cross. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says, for the joy that was set before Him, He, he endured the cross. There was nothing joyful about it. There was nothing happy about it. This was bloodshed. This was pain. This was the wrath of God. But he endured it for what purpose? The joy that was set before him. What joy is that? Well, it's the salvation of you. So that, so that you might be saved. So that he might have a people for himself. He endured the cross if you're not a Christian. I want you to know that Jesus endured the cross so that people just like you could be saved. You have incurred the wrath of God for your sin. Jesus took it on the cross. Amen. He endured God's wrath for your sin. It crushed Him. It buried Him. He rose from the dead three days later, and He's looking at you saying, turn from your sins and trust in Me. Jesus Christ is the only Savior for sinners, and now is the time for salvation. Come to Him now. Come to Him now and receive the free gift of forgiveness of sins and life everlasting with God. How do we pray in a time of crisis? First, we are honest with God. We're honest with Him about our requests. We're not trying to just simply give a good impression of, of ourselves before God. We pray out, God, stop the violence in Baltimore City. Be honest with Him. Get the hustlers off my block. Be honest with God. God, I, I need a job. Give me a job that pays my bills. God, take this job from me. God, give me a spouse. Father, why did you give me this spouse? I just want you to know I didn't point at my wife just then. I was just... We're honest with our feelings and our requests before God. But we like to try to give a good impression, don't we? I was playing ball, basketball yesterday with, with some pastors, and uh, one of the pastors I was playing with was our elder, M. Mon, Mon, M. Montrell Haygood. And uh, his knee <laughs> went right here, okay? When I was 18, you could get like one of these things, like a knee to your thigh, and you just shake it off. When you're 39 years old, your ears are ringing, all right? This happened, in, this happened in the first game. And I was limping a little bit, and somebody was like, you all right? Yeah, I'm fine, I'm good, let's go. 
Come on, let's play. Let's play. I played the whole rest of the game, acted like I wasn't in pain. I could hardly walk when I got home. And I thought to myself, why did I have to? I had to give a good impression to the other guys. I'm okay, right? Because we're weak, and I don't want to show it. I'm getting old, and I don't want to show it. I'm in pain, and I don't want to show it. And sometimes, guys, we are like that with each other, and we are like that before God. You all right? Yeah, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. No, you're not. (laughs) You're not. Stop acting like you're good all the time. Take it to the Lord in prayer. We are honest with God, with how we feel, with our requests. Someone says, well, no one will understand. Yes, but God will. God will understand you. He is closer to you than your closest thought. And together as a church, it should be common for us to be honest in our prayer requests with one another. It should be common for us to see people before and after the service praying individually, coming before God, taking our crisis before Him and being honest, praying with each other, making your requests known to God. And just as a matter of pastoral advice, when somebody is sharing a crisis with you, and, and you ask them, hey, how could I pray for you? And then they tell you how I could pray. Don't clean it up with your theology right away. Just pray. Just pray. Take your request before God. Be honest with what you, what, you, what, you, what you feel you need, what you feel you want. Secondly, Jesus was submissive to the Father's will. He was honest with his request, and he was submissive to the will of the Father. My wife, whom I love, when she was a new mom, uh, she was your stereotypical new mom. All right? What I mean by that is like we have a fourth child now, Chapman, and she's just kind of cool with whatever, you know, (laughs) like something falls on the floor, somebody's trying to, don't eat that Chapman, she's like, no, just let him eat it, build his immune system, you know, we we serve his food to him on the floor, because it builds the immune system, you know, cough in his face, come on, (laughs) it's not that we love him less than we loved Jaden or Eden, it's just that we have a different strategy, when it gets to number three and number four, all right? But when you've got your first or second child, some of you mothers know what I'm talking about, um, we would have somebody come over to babysit, and Jess would have this long list. It took her all afternoon to write out a list of everything the babysitter needs to know. We're only going to be gone for two hours, three hours, all right? Baby is going to eat at 12.45, all right? Feed her, feed her the bottle. Uh, then burp her right at one and use your left hand because she doesn't burp quite so well with your right hand. And she needs to be asleep at 1.15, no later than 1.15. And then at 3.45, even if she's still sleeping, wake her up. That's what time she gets up. And then feed her 16 peas that are mushed together. All right, count them out, please. I mean, this is what I dealt with for the first five years of her life. Um, there were, and uh, Yeah. 
here's the thing. <laughs> no, it's endearing, all right? And she did really well with them, all right? <laughs> Chapman, on the other hand, we'll see how he turns out, all right? He might not be going to Polly. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> um, but listen, we come to God... <laughs> All right, let me try to get serious now. We come, we come to God in prayer. We come to God in prayer often in the way that a new mom is coming to their babysitter. This is the list of what I need done. There is no question. I don't care what you think. You had 16 of your own children. I don't care. I am the expert. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, new moms? And this is how I want it done. And we come to God with that kind of arrogance. I don't mean to call you all new moms arrogant. Just, let's just transition back into my sermon now. We come to God with this level of arrogance. My way or the highway. Nevertheless, let my will, let my will be done. Look at how Jesus comes to the Father. He first asks if this cup can be taken from, uh, from him, if there's any way possible. He quickly answers his own request with a, a massive prayer. He says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. We're entrusting our nearest and our dearest, including our own very lives, to God. And we're saying, here's what I would like, but nevertheless, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. No prayer exceeds this prayer in its holy abandon and its daring demonstration of total trust and utter dependence on God. Jesus shows us it's okay to wish that there was another way. But we then submit ourselves, our future, our loved ones, to the will of God. Contrast this with Peter. Peter, when he was before Jesus, promised faithfulness. Jesus, in his moment of crisis, is utterly faithful before God. He never wavers in his obedience to the Father. It's easy to say, your will be done, when you're sitting in the comforts of the upper room. When you're sitting in the security of a meal with friends. But, can Peter say, your will be done, when he's facing the Roman soldiers alone? Can you say, Father, let your will be done, when you're facing the soldiers of discouragement? the soldiers of doubt, the soldiers of loss, the soldiers of unexpected failure? Can we pray this kind of prayer? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Listen, we want God to feed, but what if He lets us starve? We want God to relieve the pain, but what if the pain increases? We, we want God to heal. But what if He doesn't?
can we pray, nevertheless, let your will be done? Romans 8.28. It's one of everybody's. If you know a verse, you might know that one. What is it? All things work together for good to them who love God and are called according to His name. We love that verse. All things work together for good to them who love God and are called according. We love that verse when things are going well. You know what I'm saying? Like you were going through some discouragements, some doubts, and all of a sudden everything starts going well. You're like, oh, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good. Can we quote Romans 8, 28 when things are going bad? When our... When, when what we wish to be true is not the reality of what is. Can we still quote Romans 8.28? Here's the secret, church. All things work together for good to them who love God. All things. The good and the bad. The times of, of dinner with friends and the crosses we carry. All things work together for good to them who love God. God. You know that game, let's make a deal? Behind door one, behind door two, behind door three. We sometimes come to God and we are so sure that we need to go through door two. But we don't really know what's behind door two, do we? God might open for you door three. And that is not the door that you want to go through. But I'm telling you, church, behind the door that he wants you to go through, behind the door that you will go through, behind the door he's leading you through, behind that door is eternal life and the glorification of your soul. Because all things work together for good to them who love God, even if he leads you down a path that you don't expect or don't like. Think of it. What disciple would have prayed, God, I pray that Jesus, during this moment of crisis, would go to the cross. I pray that Jesus would hang on the cross tomorrow. What disciple would have prayed that? What disciple would have prayed that? It would have almost been disrespectful. For Peter, at the last meal, to close the meal and say, hey, it's just been good to be together, and God, I do pray that Jesus will be crucified in the next couple days. It would be disrespectful. But here's the thing. That is the route that they were on. That is the pathway that they were going to take. But it's never a pathway that the disciples would have chosen for themselves. Do you see my point? We have to pray, nevertheless, let your will be done. God, don't let Jesus hang on the cross, but nevertheless, let your will be done because we can't see everything. We can't see all the thousand different reasons why he's taking us through door three when we want to go through door two. So we pray, church, with honesty and with submission to his will. Nevertheless, let your will be done. Lastly, what we see here in Jesus' prayer is that he receives heavenly help. This past Wednesday, myself and the elders and their wives, we went to the hospital to pray with uh, uh, David and Beverly. 
As you know, last week David shared a testimony. His daughter was having surgery this, uh, this coming Wednesday, as of last Sunday. And the surgery did not go well on Wednesday. And so we're sitting there in the hospital uh, as the doctors are having this conversation with David and Beverly, uh, explaining that they had to do CPR twice on her. And uh, each time it lasted three minutes. Um, and that they're going to see how the night goes and hopefully do surgery in the morning. But it did not sound hopeful. And uh, so after the doctors left, we prayed extensively through three psalms. We prayed through singing together. And, and then we left. The next morning, I, I, I went to the, went to the uh, hospital while Savannah was in surgery. And... David and Beverly were thanking us for praying. Now, the thing that we were praying for, her healing, at the moment of her surgery, while she's in surgery, had, had yet to be answered. But they're thanking us already for praying. And what they said was that after we left, they felt so much stronger. That's unexpected. An unexpected reason to pray. Prayer leaves us stronger. Let me show you this in the text. Jesus comes before God. He asks honestly. He says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So you might ask, then why pray at all, Jesus? Go on in the text. Verse 43, And there appeared to him an angel from heaven. What was the angel doing? Strengthening him. I don't know the mechanics of how this works. I don't know the science behind it. But in some way, an angel appears and starts strengthening Jesus. The angel doesn't strengthen him through taking away the bad feelings. Look at verse 44. His agony continues... He prays more earnestly. His sweat becomes like great, great drops of blood falling to the ground. His agony only increases. The angel doesn't take away the feelings. What does the angel do? The angel strengthens him nonetheless. Verse 45, here's how the angel strengthens him. He rose. He got up. And he went forward on that mission. I believe the effect of this strengthening was not the taking away of sorrow. The, the effect of the strengthening was the ability to go forward with what God had called him to. The effect of us praying and being strengthened doesn't automatically solve the problem, remove the crisis, or take away the bad feeling. But the effect of us being strengthened is that we continue forward. It's that we keep moving. You've heard it said that the Christian doesn't pray for a lighter cross, but a stronger back. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14 calls angels ministering spirits that are sent to the saints. I don't know, again, how this works. But if we could peel back uh, the, the layers and we could 
get a glimpse into the spiritual world as you pray with each other and as you come to God in the midst of a crisis, I would not be surprised if we see angels strengthening us. Our prayers being a means of receiving the kind of strength that we need to proceed to continue forward. you got challenges on your block. You're praying about your block and then God strengthens you to continue your mission on your block. Or kids, maybe, you're in school and you got a big test coming up and you're freaking out about it. You're feeling discouraged about it. And you pray. An unexpected blessing is that you have the strength to continue forward in your education and take that test. As we gather together in, in, on Sunday evenings once a month for our evening prayer service, we come together and we make our requests before God, we praise God, we, we pray together, and we all walk out with an unexpected blessing. We're all stronger. We're stronger to face our Mondays. In prayer, we are strengthened to continue forward with the mission that God has given us. I've got to close because I'm out of time. I could continue as long as you can sit, but I know you're starting to get restless right about now. I want to close through looking not at us, but at Christ. We don't need to stop here and say, well, let's just take his, his model and, uh, and, and go therefore and do likewise. We have to we have to close through looking at Christ. Because if we don't know Christ, then we have no clue what it means to pray. Don't you know that we can only pray because Jesus got up right here and went forward with his mission? Don't you understand that, that if Jesus did not go forward and take that cup and drink that cup, that we would never be able to pray? Listen, Jesus prayed a prayer here that you will never have to pray. The crisis that Jesus faced here was a kind of crisis that you will never face. The stress that he faced here in this moment was a stress that you will never have to face. My, my son had, and he's had, he's had the flu. He's home again this week. And so this past Monday, all week, he's been taking Tamiflu. Tamiflu is, uh, in its liquid form, disgusting, according to my son. I haven't tried it. Supposedly, it tastes like sour milk. So we pour him his little serving of Tamiflu every day, and he's got to drink it. And the night before last, that Tamiflu was sitting right there on the table for about an hour. So then I, of course, threatened him. And I say, if you don't drink this, you will not watch TV all weekend. All right? And then, of course, he starts to cry. And he realize, realizes what's before him. And so he takes it, and he drinks three quarters of the cup. You know he's got to drink the whole thing. He puts it down, victorious. And I said, Haddon, you didn't finish it. And I, I literally said to him, drink every drop of it. And he takes it, and he throws it back, and he drinks every bit of it. Listen, do you understand that when Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath for your sin, he didn't just drink half of it and let you have the other half. 
when Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath for your sin, he didn't just drink three quarters of it and put it down victorious and see, look what I did. Now you guys got the rest. I did the majority of it. You can do your fair share. No, when Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath for your sin, he threw it back and he drank every last drop of judgment that you and I deserved. And that is how we can stand before God in prayer. We can come before Him because there is nothing between us and the Father because Jesus took it all because we are recipients of grace because salvation is mine because Christ is mine and I am His so I can come before God in prayer. Don't you know that it was not only God's will that Jesus would drink the cup but it was also God's will that three days later Jesus would rise from the dead victorious over death, over crisis, over the grave. In crisis, church, we've got to keep an eye on the end. We've got to know that He is victorious. We've got to know that one day there will be no more crisis for those who are in Christ Jesus. And as we face our times of crisis, we pray honestly. We submit ourselves to God's will. We are strengthened. And we look forward to that day when we are raised to new life with Jesus Christ. As we're running this race, and we're on that second lap, and we stop and start bawling, we've got to know that the presence of God is what we need to finish the race. And church... You've got it. Through Christ, in Christ, for those of you who have trusted in Jesus Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, you've got it. You've got the presence of God with you and you will finish that race. You will make it through this crisis. When I can't go on, He strengthens me. When I've got tears in my eyes, He comes to me. When I don't know a way forward, He's with me. That is our God. That is our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? Father, we thank you that Jesus Christ paid it all, that he drank all of it, that he took the, the judgment that I deserved, that this church deserved in his own body on the cross. Father, we pray that as we face our own times of crisis, that we would be reminded that we are united with you through Jesus Christ and that we can follow our Lord and that we can be honest with you, submit ourselves to your will and find that you have strengthened us in the process. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.